Thanks for joining us on the DDS Faith Podcast. Our prayer is that as we discuss what God has to teach us through His Word, we can all learn how to deepen, defend, and share our faith in Jesus Christ. Last time on DDS Faith. Yeah, then where do we go from there? It's like, so let's just... <laughs> we just keep all that. <laughs> so let's recap what we talked about last week. Yes, because there was a lot of good information in there, and we're going to get into some more, uh, some deeper uh, topics, especially when it, we come to talking about Passover. Yeah. Because we are in what a lot of churches call Easter week. Right. We Palm Sunday a couple of days ago. Uh, this Friday is what churches call Good Friday. Yeah. Uh, and that all leads to... Easter Sunday. And last time we had a really good, one of the things I didn't know was, you know, the origin of the word Easter and how that kind of <clears throat> came into our lexicon and right. where we got that from. So that was really cool to well, hear that. And then, you know, I liked how he was talking about, um, like he actually pointed it out to us that the KJV is the only Bible that he knows of right. that um, translate Pascha to uh, Easter. Easter. Yes. So, Which pa Pascha is basically uh, Passover. Right. That's what we understand it. Awesome. So we're glad that you have come back for part two, and let's just get into this uh, continuing discussion with Rabbi Eric. I want to jump over to Passover again. Could you explain the four cups of wine that you were mentioning earlier? Yeah, there's the cup of uh, sanctification, the cup of uh, judgment, the cup of redemption, and the cup of praise. And they're, they tell the story of the Passover, the, the cup of, uh, of judgment is the cup of uh, where the, you know, the judgments fall. And then the cup of sanctification, where they come through the waters of the, uh, the, 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 um, the sea. Now, now the really of, quick, so that first judgments, you're talking about the judgments of Israel? The judgments of Egypt. You know, for everything we're talking about, we're dealing with um, the Exodus, and then its comparison to Messiah and the followers of Messiah. So the first thing is judgment. God brings judgment on Egypt, and He brings judgment uh, to us. That's there we go. We yeah. were judged. We're sinners. Yeah. Then sanctification. They come all went through the waters. Uh, you know, the figurative baptism as they went through the the Red Sea. And likewise, we are sanctified by what Messiah does. And the cup of redemption, they're, they're redeemed through this process, and we're redeemed. Redeem is purchasing back. Um, and, and that redemption, remember, we have to repent, we have to be immersed, and then something supernatural happens that he does we can't do. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, we, we have to repent. God's not going to repent for us. Contrary to popular belief, in order to be saved, we have to be involved. Right. <laughs> uh, so so there's those steps. And then there's a cup of praise, which happens when we get to the, the final uh, event, the wedding uh, feast, so to speak. So we have to be involved in our redemptive process. The same way the children of Israel had to cry out to God, and God heard their cry. They realized they were in slavery. Likewise, as believers, we have to realize we're in the slavery to sin. We cry out to God. God brings judgment. That judgment is the application of Yeshua's blood to our life, just like the children of Israel had to put the blood on the house. 
the application of his blood in our life. That brings about sanctification, which is the going through the sea, going through the waters of immersion, which brings about redemption, which is what God does in our life, filling us with his Holy Spirit, making us new creations. We rise to newness of life. And then we live our lives in the wilderness until we come to the promised land, the, the end of our life. We're, and so during that time is where we learn of his ways. We get the, the Israelites get the Torah. Uh, you know, after they're out, they learn how to live. They have ups and downs. They have life. There's some that make it, some that don't make it. All those things happen in the wilderness, and that's what's going on in our life right now as believers. When you become a believer, then you start living for him. You become his disciple. You start walking in his ways and doing what he taught us to do. We learn of his word. We understand more of it. He speaks to us. We understand all those things. But until we get to the promise— you know, he that endures to the same, the same shall be saved. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. It's the same journey the Israelites went through. It's the same journey we're going through, and it's told in the Passover story. In order to understand our redemptive work of Messiah, we have to understand the Passover. And unfortunately, the church has largely disconnected itself from the story of the Passover, which is why we have such bad teaching about what we, how we get saved, how we live saved, mm -hmm. what we do, what's our responsibilities, all of those things. And we've made it, oh, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is believe. When the Bible says you have to be, repent, I mean, we all have to repent. There's, nobody's repenting for us. Right. And repenting isn't saying you're sorry. It's turning direction. The, the Hebrew word is shuv or, or uh, teshuvah, which means to turn and move a different direction, to be different. So there's a lot in the Passover story that's lost if you just do Resurrection Day or you just do Easter, because you don't—the concept of our redemption, the concept of our walking in this wilderness of this life, the concept of, of crossing the Red Sea and then crossing the Jordan, all the old hymn songs that talk about those things, the people that wrote that understood this concept— of Passover being meaningful and the crossing the Red Sea and the crossing the Jordan and all the things that happen in between is all part of that redemptive narrative of Israel, which is also our narrative. Yeah. And um, I think that when we bring outside things into the church, like Easter, I feel like we, we cheapen, the story of what God God's given to us, not just the story, but everything that God's given us. You know, I like what you mentioned about, you know, uh, bad teaching with salvation. Um, and I actually, um, it would be kind of cool if you would give it your, your take, um, on, you know, I guess someone receiving Christ. Um, cause I know with a lot of Protestants, it's, you know, Hey guys, admit, believe, confess. And, uh, yeah. Pray this prayer and uh, make sure you go to the altar. You got to do that. Uh, um, and, you know, we add all these different things that we don't see even close to in the Bible. So how would how would you, I guess, lead someone to Christ, as it were? Um, that, that's a difficult question because each person is different. Uh, the, the reason I say that is if I'm sharing with a Jewish person, I share from a certain perspective. If I'm sharing with a non-Jewish person. If I'm sharing with somebody who knows something about the Bible versus somebody who doesn't, 
each one has to be individual, which is why I have a problem with large scale <laughs> uh, call altar calls and things like that, because you're not speaking to the individual. You're speaking to a group which lessens what's actually happening. When we when we see the disciples ministering, they're ministering to individuals. Now, there might be groups of people, but they're ministering individually to them uh, as it's going on. So when people say, what must I do to be saved? My answer has always been and will always be, obey the Bible to the best of your knowledge and ability and be willing to change every time you find more truth. If you do that, you will be saved. <laughs> so what uh, you're saying so, is it's a relationship, as in like— you, when you lead somebody to Christ, it's not this canned, all right, here you go, now pray this prayer, this altar call, you're good to go. Instead, it's a, more of a discipleship. You bring somebody to a concert, or you bring somebody to a political rally, and you walk them up and you introduce them to the star or to the politician, they shake hands— and then you lead them away, and they never talk to them again. Yep. They never have a relationship with them again. They never do anything, but they met him once. <laughs> That's how most people lead people to Yeshua. Mm. Most people just say, come meet him, shake his hand, uh, say hi, say you believe he exists, mm -hmm. and then walk away, and you can do whatever you want to because he's not actually involved in your life. He was just somebody you met. Gosh. <laughs> and and that's largely how we introduce people to the Messiah. Instead of saying, come and be fishers of men. Come follow me. That's what Yeshua said. Yeah. He, they, they were doing something. He said, stop what you're doing and start walking with me. And that's how we're supposed to do it. So that when I lead someone to Messiah, it's not leading them to, uh, like the other day I was in Israel. And while I was at Magdala in Israel, which is where Mary of Magdalene lived, the, the community, uh, Mike Huckabee happened to be there. And one of my friends in the group said, hey, that's Mike Huckabee. And I went up and I said hello to him. And we took a picture together. And then we did a little video that I showed to my congregation because it happened to be just before Shabbat. And we said hello on, on Shabbat. Now, I'll probably never see Mike Huckabee again. <laughs> I'm not a disciple of Mike Huckabee. I'm not, I'm not in relationship with him. I don't know that we'll ever see each other again, nor do I have a real motivation to do so. I'm not against him or for him. He's just not in my world. Right. When I introduce somebody to Messiah, I want them to wake up every day looking forward to spending time with him. I want the last thing on their mind to be, I'm so glad I spent time with him today before they go to bed. Uh, you know, that's the relationship I want them to have. And if you have that relationship, then doing all the things comes natural. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that I've thought about with my kids and, um, you know, the concern of, okay, cool, they went forward and they prayed a prayer, but do they really know Jesus? And I was talking to my wife and I was just, I was just thinking, of, you know, leading someone to Christ is not, all right, uh, here he is. <laughs> See ya. You know, <laughs> like it's, it, you're, you're teaching them, you're showing them. So like with my kids, you know, we're not sitting them down and saying, okay, now, you know, Jesus loves you and, you know, admit, believe, confess. You ready to pray the prayer yet? You know, trying to push them and try to get right. them to make a decision. And instead we show them how we live for Christ. 
We show them how we pray. We show them how we read the Bible. We show them how we study the Bible. We are discipling our children. Leading someone to Christ takes time. It takes a relationship, but instead it's, you know, all right, here's the revival, you know, <laughs> get all these people in and all, everybody's getting saved and that's awesome. And, you know, the only place we really see that biblically is, uh, I believe, Pentecost. Um, you know, and I think that was a supernatural uh, kickstart of Christianity, you know. and rather, well, I don't yeah. even think it was a kickstart of Christianity. I think it was the completion of Judaism. No, because, uh, because it was they Pentecost. were at a Jewish festival, right? Well, Pentecost were, is the, the Pentecost is Shavuot, is Feast of Weeks. They were there where they were supposed to be doing what they were supposed to be doing, and God showed up in a unique way. Well, but Pentecost is harvest, right? Yeah, it's the it's the yeah. harvest feast. Yeah. So so, but what's really cool in, in in talking about this is I remember when I first became a believer, the the young man who uh, led me to Messiah, who spent months leading me to Messiah. We studied over and over and over. We went through scripture after scripture after scripture. And then when I accepted Yeshua, when I prayed, when I was born again, he kind of disappeared for a bit and went going to lead someone else to Messiah. Yeah. I, his work with me was done. And off he went. And I really felt like, um, almost like I was hoodwinked. Like I was in relate. He only cared about me until... I said this prayer until I was born again, until I repented, until and then he was gone. And and it really left me feeling um hurt and uh, out of sorts and disconnected. And and so I do my best to never do that. If if I if I work with somebody, if I disciple somebody to the point of them accepting Yeshua as the Messiah, I continue to walk with them. Mm-hmm. That's because that's part of the process. You don't teach, you know, you don't have a baby and then just say, okay, we had the baby, it's gone. Uh, you know, let it go take care of itself. Let it feed itself. Let it do itself. It, you know, it, it's being involved and it's being willing to be dumped on, puked on. You know, all the things that babies do, the expectation that that, <clears throat> this, that child we just birthed into the kingdom is going to be messy, is going to be sloppy. They're going to be to be up at 2 o'clock in the morning crying on, you, uh, on your shoulder. They're going to want you to feed them and take care of them until they can do it on their own. That's discipleship. And, uh, and, and the body of Messiah does a terrible job of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, those, those of you who are listening, I encourage you to go listen to our salvation episode of where we talked about this. And, you know, Rabbi made the, an excellent point. But, you know, I like what you said about, you know, born again, guess what? They're babies. And the problem with, like, what you said the body of Messiah does is we essentially just make a bunch of Christian orphans. Because, great, you got them saved. You, you had babies, but then you didn't take care of them. You didn't teach them anything. And it's like, when they're born again, like, that's the beginning. You know, you, guess what? The person that started discipling me 15 years ago or so, you know, hasn't stopped. He still checks on me. Uh, and we, we still talk. Not every day necessarily, but, I mean, he'll call and he'll check up on me and see, hey, what's going on with your life? How, how's your family? You know, when those conversations change as you grow but you have to be taught how to read the Bible 
And you're not going to get that by just going to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. You're just not. What? And, <laughs> and, and to bring this back to Passover, all of the feasts of the Lord were designed so that parents could teach their children so that their children could teach their children so that their children could teach their children to watch for the fullness of the promise and the prophecies to come past. So each of these things, when you have a Passover Seder, you're even today, the youngest child in the house asks the four questions. Why is Passover different from all the other nights? And the parents tell that child why it's different. They answer the biblical questions that the children have. Every one of the feasts and festivals are purposely family-oriented, community-oriented, so that we teach Lador Vador from generation to generation. So this discipleship process happens where it's supposed to. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me if I believe in small groups, and I said yes, but they're called families. <laughs> Every house should be a small group or a cell group where the parents are teaching the children— and then inviting others to come be part of that. Uh, but it's <laughs> it's not just farming out the education of our children to youth pastors or Sunday school or Shabbat school or whatever. Uh -huh. The parents have the responsibility. Their first responsibility is to disciple their children. And I go as far as to say, if you're not discipling your children, you have no business discipling anybody else. Preach. Now, I want to be I want to be clear on something. That doesn't mean that oh, if your kids aren't saved, then you shouldn't be trying to disciple somebody else. No, you should no, be trying no. to disciple your kid the the whole time. That should right. Never you stop. should be actively praying with, studying with, teaching, sharing. And if your children won't sit down and read the Bible with you, if you live the Bible in front of them, it's just as powerful yep. as if you read it off of the page. Discipling doesn't mean just reading the Bible or reading a <laughs> psalm every day or reading, but it's actually emulating Messiah to them. If our rabbi is Yeshua or Jesus, we're taught in Judaism, we're taught that you're supposed to walk so close to your rabbi that the dust from his feet comes onto you. You're, you're standing so close to him that as he walks, that dust comes on you. If we can teach our children to follow us. That's why when Paul said, if you can't follow Yeshua, follow me as I follow him. If we emulate, if we live our lives the way we're supposed to as disciples, other people will follow us and see how to do it and just follow our example. But if we're not doing that, if your children see you at home not living the life of a disciple and then see you going out and trying to disciple others, our children know what hypocrisy looks like. <laughs> You know, one thing that um, that I took from that was something that I've I've struggled with just in my family with the church and being a pastor in church. And I can't tell you how many times people got upset uh, that I brought my kids in a service with me instead of sending them off to children's church. Because, you know, like you just said a minute ago, Rabbi, uh, I believe it is my responsibility and we don't need to be farming out our responsibilities to other people. Like we are supposed to teach our children. Absolutely. At our, at our synagogue, the children stay in the service for almost the entire service. And, and we have children that stay the whole time. We do have a, a program where they learn songs that they sing in the service or they yeah. learn other things during our service for a short period of time. Uh, 
But we tell our parents and people visiting, if you have a problem with our children being here, find somewhere else to attend. Good. That's the way it should be. Because children are supposed to be children until they're adults. And we're not going to rob our children of their childhood by forcing them to try to act like adults. That doesn't mean we want them misbehaving and if they're loud, we don't deal with them. That's what discipling is, is teaching your children how to do the things they're going to do. But as children, and children are supposed to make noise, they're supposed to wiggle, they're supposed to move around. That's what they do. Yeah. Uh, it's when the adults do that that it bothers <laughs> me. I don't mind the children coloring in service. What bothers me is the adults who are on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, one more thing that I wanted to hit on that, that you had mentioned that well, I want to highlight, um, you know, the Jewish people from the very beginning have done an incredible job of discipleship. So you, you think about it and, um, let's just, let's go with the, uh, the James Usher. He's, a uh, um, he's the guy that figured out um, how how many years ago, like when the Earth, uh, Earth was uh, created. 4004 B.C., I think he said something like in August. And he based that on, like he changed all the calendars through the years. He, he based all that, but then he also uh, took into account, like, um, you know, he looked at the genealogies and whatnot, and he saw, okay, this is where it's at. Okay, maybe it's 4,000, whatever. It doesn't matter. Let's look at when Moses wrote Genesis, probably about 1500 BC, maybe, you know, and so we're talking 2000 years at least of stories that he was able to memorize from from the top of his head, because guess what? That's all they taught them. They taught them how to, um, how, they taught them how to pray. They taught them about the feast. They taught them all these different things. Uh, they said, this is what God has said to me. This is what happened. This is uh, you know, Abraham would say, you know, I, I had to go and sacrifice my son, uh, and this is what happened, you know, and they shared those stories, and they passed them down, and they passed them down, and they passed them down, and now we kind of just avoid that. You know, we're like, you know, oh, let's read a little a little story here in the Bible, you know, and there's hardly any application. You know, we don't talk about family discipleship. We're like, okay, youth ministry, you take care of my kid. He better get saved by the time he's a, by the time he's in seventh grade or whatever. You know, uh, no, it's the parents' responsibility, not the youth pastors, not even the pastors' responsibility. You know, it's it's you as an individual. But nobody ever looks at family discipleship. They just, you know, other people need to deal with that. I'm not going to do that with my kids. That's other people's jobs. That's not right. You know, it's interesting. It's what's interesting is that Peter was considered an ignorant and unlearned man. Yeah. But if you look at his message on in Acts <laughs> two, he quotes some twenty different passages from the Bible accurately, without having his own pocket Bible. You know, they only had scrolls in their synagogues. So everybody didn't have a Bible at their house. They had to memorize it. And you can only, you know, the Bible says that God will bring things to your remembrance, that the Spirit will bring things to your remembrance, but you have to member them once. You can't remember something you haven't membered. It has to become <laughs> part of you before you can remember it. Yeah. And he, he got up and quoted from the Bible. This was an ignorant and unlearned fisherman who knows more Bible than most people that attend churches that have 
the Bible on their cell phone. They have it in yep. their in their cards. It's on their end table, or, you know, where. But so when we consider what they thought was ignorant and unlearned in Bible days versus what is today and the responsibility of the parents to teach their children these things, Peter's parents taught him the Bible enough that he could get up on Pentecost on Shavuot and quote that much from Joel and from other scriptures in, in accurately uh, before all those people. Now, did God move and anoint him? Absolutely. But again, you can't, he doesn't bring things from nowhere. He brings them from your remembrance. Peter knew the Bible yep. and he was still considered ignorant and unlearned. Well, and you know, that's, I, I love that you, you pointed that out, you know, we talk about memorizing scripture in the Protestant church, and it's like, okay, remember this one little verse right here. What? Like, the the, the verses and chapters in the Bible are, are uh, afterthought. It's something that's relatively new. I mean, uh, I don't think the verses came in until like 1,000 A.D., you know, 1,000 years after Jesus. Um, the chapters were done a little bit earlier, but... You know, I think Rabbi makes an excellent point here, and we need to do better about don't just memorize this one little verse, this one little snippet. Memorize the chapter. Memorize it as a whole. Get all of it in into you to where you can, uh, you know, quote like Jesus quoted. You know, uh, I think it's, uh, he quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, um, all right, I mean, Rabbi could do it way better than me of how, of how like all that means so much. I get chills every time I read Psalm 22. It's just incredible. I'm I'm sure he'll say something about it. Um, but you know, I think we as Christians need to do a better job of memorizing Scripture. Stop trying to memorize all right, one verse, one verse, one verse. You know, we mentioned John 3:16. We mentioned that multiple times. But what makes that verse matter is the story from Numbers. Where Jesus says, you know, uh, to Nicodemus, um, that just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be be lifted up. Just like that story in Numbers about the snakes biting the Israelites, and and they were dying. And he says, and and just yeah, to just to add to that, it. if you don't understand advocating everybody to study Hebrew to learn, but you you should study the Bible to learn. That, that serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness, when it talks about uh, the ness, any s is the, the Hebrew word, it's not talking about the serpent. It actually says when you look upon the ness, ness is the word for miracle. Not when you look at the serpent, but when you look beyond the serpent yeah, to the miracle. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Then the healing came. Then they, It wasn't the serpent that healed him. It was looking beyond the serpent. It was, the, heal. It, was and, their, it was and their when faith. Yeshua was the the prophecy was that Yeshua would stomp the the head of the serpent. You know, Genesis three yeah. connects to John three, connects to Numbers. All of this is connected. But unless you understand these things, unless you understand, and again, back to the Passover, the serpent being held up in the wilderness is part of the Passover story. It's part of the time in from Egypt to the promised land. It's part of what goes on. And so when you celebrate Passover, you read the scriptures to your children. You read Exodus 
to your children, you tell the whole story. So every year they're hearing the story straight from the Bible, and that's becoming part of who they are. They sit around the table with the family, and the, the father or the grandfather tells the story, reads the story, doesn't just read the words, but but describes, talks about, interacts with. So it becomes part of who they are. They almost and, preach it. They're not yeah. just reading it. So it's it's important. So going back to what you're saying, when we when we do the Passover or we do Pentecost or Shavuot or we do Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah, the day feast of trumpets, or Yom Kippur or the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, or or Purim, the Feast of Esther, or Hanukkah, the a day that Yeshua celebrated when he says he was at Solomon's colonnade on the Feast of Dedication, dedication that's the Feast of Hanukkah. When we do these feasts, it tells the story of the Bible in a way that becomes family. It, it becomes it's our family way of sharing God's word with our children. And when we take those away and we replace them with things that aren't that, you know, when we replace it with Easter, and, and again, I don't want to get sidetracked by Easter, but if, if you're talking about bunnies and eggs more than you're talking about the resurrection and, and, and that, you've lost what you're supposed to do. You know, if, if I'm celebrating my anniversary with my wife and I talk about everything but her— <laughs> And I give gifts for, for to everybody but her. We're not going to celebrate a lot of anniversaries, right? Absolutely right. And, but but that's what we've done. We've taken the biblical out. We've changed it for other things, and then we value the other things more than we value the biblical. And then we wonder why we lack discipleship, relational faith growth in our in our congregations that's more than just numbers and coffee clutches it's because we've taken out that glue that held us together rabbi thank you so much yes. um this was excellent uh appreciate everything that you had to say i hope the listeners actually do appreciate it um i hope that they can see the beauty of the old testament and stop looking at it as you know, Jews and Christians, you know, you have Judaism over here, and then you have Christianity over here, and just merge it all together and put it as one, um, be, because that's the that's the design. That's what it's yeah, supposed and, to be. And if you want to, and you don't have to, but if you want to, you can put in your link description our podcast. Oh, definitely. Yeah, tell us a and little then, bit about your podcast real quick. Uh, it's called Messiantics. And it's basically doing kind of what you guys are doing only in the messianic world. That's cool. So, um, yeah. so we're dealing with <laughs> the, the read, antics of yeah. the messianic world. Yeah, when I first read, I was like, uh, messianics or what? <laughs> like, like, is that like mechanics or something? Like, what is this? And then I realized, like, antics. I was like, oh, they're messy antics. It's a joke. Yeah. Rabbi's got dad so, jokes. Uh, <laughs> yep. Which you so, should uh, understand. That, I did. And you I can put my uh, and you can put my website on there, rabbiertea.com. Yeah, definitely. And they can and uh, they can read my blogs and things like that. Yeah, if you if you like our podcast, you might like his. You know, but like ours yeah. more. But like ours more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Wow. <laughs> but like yours first. Yeah. Like ours first. <laughs> He's got enough followers. Uh, well, hey, Rabbi, thank you so much for for your time. We we really appreciate it. Uh, I, that was awesome. Uh, again, listeners, uh, 
take take this into account. Don't just sit there and say, well, that's not how I've heard it. And, you know, or I've never heard it that way before. Or, you know, that's that sounds too hard. I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that. Um, too late, you're accountable. <laughs> um, Exciting future here on the DDS Faith Podcast, right, Jeremy? The, yeah. The schedule guy over here. Yes. What, what's what's the new series that we're doing? What's the next? Well, we're going to finish up yep. the, the discernment yeah. series. The what? The, the discernment <laughs> series. <laughs> and then um, when we finish that, uh, we're looking at doing a few weeks on a series called Success versus Significance. Yeah. And we're going to, I'm trying to line up some guests for that as yeah, well. Yeah, you've actually got quite a few guests that are going to be remote. Um, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Please pray for us because... Um, yeah, so you know how your technology and everything yeah, works. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not technology challenged, but this is a, incredibly complicated, and maybe I'm just overthinking it, I don't know, but to try to hear the remote and we all hear him and he hears us but it doesn't feed back and everything's good right now so we're just going to leave yeah it. don't touch don't it. touch anything <laughs> uh well thank y'all so much for listening and uh have a good week bye there you go <laughs> what bye bye bye, bye. listening for more information on dds faith ministries please visit our website at ddsfaith.org and follow us on social media thanks